This podcast is sponsored by Blue Butterfly, the go-to cocktail bar and place to meet on Earl Street, Maidstone. Bluebutterfly.co.uk. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, hope you're okay and enjoying the mini heatwave we've got in Kent at the moment. I'm going to have more of a forecast for you a bit later on in the podcast. But first, on Monday, September the 6th, it has been a bit of a nightmare school run for a number of parents in part of Kent today. Families living in Raynham say journeys there that would normally take about 10 minutes were taking more than 40 as a series of roadworks brought the town to a halt as children went back to class. Part of the lower Raynham Road was closed and a lane is also out on a section of the A2. Well, Councillor Martin Potter, who represents the area, has sent a statement to us on this. Now, he said these are emergency gas works by SGN, which actually started on Friday. The works are frustrating, but they have to take place due to the gas leak. However, we have asked for improved signage, especially as some signs seem to have disappeared, which exacerbated issues. There is also, if you know Raynham, a new school that's opened up in the area and on that he's added the new school has now been open nearly a week including when the emergency work started so it would be disingenuous to put today's issues on the school the impact of the gas works today has been driven by the wider return of school particularly primary schools although i'm sure parents would have wished they'd walked their children to school on such a lovely september morning many have kids going to different places and they then have to get to work themselves so the car is very necessary Elsewhere in the towns, around 40 children were left stranded at a bus stop because the double-decker provided to transport them was already full. Lauren Porter's son was trying to get from his home in Wainscott to Who Academy. He started last Friday back to the 100 of Who Academy um, without being able to get the bus to school due to it being full by the time it got to his stop. Um, So we thought, okay, let's see what happens. Again, this morning, he went to the bus stop 10 minutes before the bus was due. um, And the bus, again, didn't stop due to being full capacity for the children. It's not only leaving him behind, everyone else at the bus stop. And then the next couple of bus stops um, en route to the school. What on earth did you do? I mean, that's a nightmare situation first thing in the morning. I mean, it's obviously awful for your son to be left there, but it's, it's not good for you either. No, and again, I can't help because I've got a daughter that I take to primary school at the same sort of time. So he's got no other way of transport. So luckily a friend's mum took him and um, his friend along to school this morning and again last week. Um, but yeah, it's that worrying situation. You're thinking your child's going to school and they're stranded. I mean, it's um, no surprise that the children are back at school. Every September they return. Um, yeah. Have you heard why the bus has been full or kind of... Apparently well, last year was his first year, um, and actually, I had to say, due to COVID, it was perfect because they ran two service or two buses side by side each other. But due to COVID apparently disappearing um, and no no longer got funding for the second bus, it is only one school bus they're putting on for the, all of the children. Like I said, it's not only him affected. There's forty plus children being left behind, um, unable to get to school. So it warrants another bus being put on for them. Children's education, as you well know, over the past year has been hugely disrupted. I'm assuming this really isn't going to help if they're turning up late for school. No, exactly. Not only are they turning up late, some children aren't even able to get to school. Like today, I passed four children walking home at 10 o'clock in the morning because there was no bus and it's not a safe walking route. And um, there's no way some children haven't got parents to be able to take them. Hence, they get the bus in the first place. And obviously, it's not the... St- 
things that children need to be worrying about getting to and from school they've got enough worries they've missed enough education getting to and from school shouldn't be another problem added to their list each day. We've been in contact with Arriva. This is what they had to say. During the COVID-19 pandemic, Arriva operated two vehicles on the 689 service to meet social distancing requirements for bus travel. With restrictions now lifted, we've reverted back to original bus provisions. However, we closely monitor our passenger levels aboard all services, particularly our school services, to ensure minimum instances of overcrowding. We're investigating the complaints made about recent school services with the depot. Meantime, latest figures show more than 1,000 youngsters in Kent have tested positive for COVID as pupils return to school. In the seven days to August the 31st, there were 1,232 cases among under-19s in the county. That's 40 times higher than this time last year. Just 30 were reported in early September 2020. And anti-vaxxers have staged a demo outside a school in Canterbury this morning. They handed out leaflets to pupils arriving at Simon Langton Girls and have said they'll be outside more schools across the city during the week. It comes as the government prepares to make a decision on whether school children aged 12 and over should have the COVID vaccine. The Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation decided against backing the move on health grounds alone because COVID-19 presents such a low risk to young teenagers. Well, a poll of Kent Online readers over the weekend found 56% were in favour of youngsters having the jab, 30% were against and 14% were unsure. Kent Online News. Other top stories for you today and it's feared more families in Kent could end up in poverty this winter as energy prices are set to go up. From next month, they'll increase by around £139 a year for 15 million households across the country as wholesale prices reach a record high. At the same time, the £20 a week universal credit top-up provided during the pandemic is set to be phased out. Esther Herwood is from the Trussell Trust Food Bank in Sittingbourne. It will be a bloodbath if this is removed. Um, it's, 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 I can't even imagine because if there are people who are struggling already, um, removing potentially 80, 120 pounds, whatever it works out to be per family, because if it's a couple, it's a little bit more money. If it's a single person, it's less. However, it works out and uh, removing that amount of money when they're already not managing, they're already using a food bank to manage each week or you know once a month or however it works out for them then um we can't we just collectively can't imagine what's going to happen when this this money when and if this money is removed so you know we join with the trussell trust who i know have written a letter today to the joseph roundbury foundation amongst others uh, with with them sorry to the prime minister um we join with them to say please don't remove this money because it we can't i mean we can't imagine how we'll even cope with that um and that, that sounds a bit selfish, but it's, yeah, we, we can't imagine how we'll even manage um, to carry on supporting all these people who are already struggling. Alexander Rourke runs the Thanet Iceberg Project, which helps people try to avoid falling into poverty. The usage in food bank has just gone up exponentially over the last, uh, I, I suppose, certainly through the pandemic. Uh, and yeah, if we, we're trying to cut out what is pandemic um, and what's non-pandemic issue, and, and that's the problem. I think a lot of the figures are skewed, but certainly because of pandemic, um, you know, the furlough was brilliant, and I'm never going to say it wasn't brilliant because it was. However, when you take 20% out of the income, um, we don't all have 20% spare at the end of every month. So by 
people's income dropping by 20% instantly, it left them with the choice of whether they're going to have food or bills or, or whatever. And, and, and food banks certainly have seen a huge growth of people, again, that are working. It's not just sponges and, and, and you know, and, you know, I, I, I use that term because that's the sort of term that people will throw out. It's not my, my not my understanding of it. But you'll say people say, oh, well, you know, they shouldn't have kids if they can't feed them or they should go and get a job. And I go back to the fact that, you know, a third of all universal credit claimants are working and they're using food bank and they they just don't have enough. And, yeah, we are we are going to see that increase exponentially over over the coming months you've got this situation where so there's, there's this there's a certain number of people who are using universal credit at the moment and, and needing to some that are working some that aren't and then on the 6th of october you have this 20 pound uplift which was again put in by the government during the coronavirus pandemic to help those people out in a particularly difficult time for all of us that's now being removed on the 6th of october so that's 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 a significant less money without things maybe improving for themselves personally i mean what happens when that boost ends you know that's that's 20 pound less potentially weekly for them to spend on food bills and everything else it's yeah, it's tough but and i'm not a government apologetic and I, and i'm not and please hear me you know throw the other side in a moment and it was a 20 pound uplift for the coronavirus and we are now being told that we are through the pandemic primarily we are told that mostly things are going back to normal so if that's the case what they will say and, and what they are saying is well the temporary uplift for the time of the pandemic if the pandemic is over the uplift is gone so almost um if it's semantics it's semantics but maybe we ought to be having a slightly the same question but asked slightly differently and that is should universal credit be increased by 20 pounds because they will say that the uplift was temporary, therefore it has to end. And I might not like that, I might not agree with it, but I'll accept what they're saying if that's the case. So my my argument, therefore, is that I think universal credit should be increased by £20 to replace what was a temporary uplift and actually make it a permanent feature. And I think that's maybe where we're going to end up having to campaign, because I think probably they will cut the money come what may because they will say that's what we said we would do and we are simply holding our manifesto promises or certainly what we said in government and, and, and almost you can't argue with that but the question now begs okay if people are needing that money to survive why are you not raising the money to make it at an affordable level yeah, sort of a question of semantics then, rather than you know, get rid of the uplift, but then put that money back in as a permanent fixture of the universal credit in general. I mean, we've had, we've heard from some charities and organisations calling out and saying, you know, please don't get rid of this uplift because it's going to affect a lot of people. We've had the Joseph Roundtree Foundations today written that open letter to the Prime Minister and, and Esther mentioned that earlier, you know, urging them not to go ahead with the scrapping of universal credit and working tax credits. Um, so this is part of the opening letter, imposing what is effectively the biggest overnight cut to the basic rate of social security since World War II will pile unnecessary financial pressure on around 5.5 million families, both in and out of work. And again, making that point that you made, Rourke, you know, families in and out of work, this is not just families who, who aren't able to work. This is people who are also working nine to five jobs or night shifts or whatever come what may and still having to claim that universal yeah. credit to be able to try and pay for food and bills and rent. Yeah. And it's, it's tough, isn't it? Cause the, you know, the cross party um, 
committee is it's Simon Tim, Stephen Tim's, um, you know, they're they're asking for it. Uh, Labour have said that they would support it if they kept the uplift up. Um, I, it seems that the only people that are currently saying that they want to drop it are the government. Um, it's not even members of their own party that are agreeing. So I, I don't know whether they will listen to common sense or not. But, you know, bloodbath is very emotive, but it's certainly it, it's we are going to see and charities like myself that that deal with people who are in poverty we are going to see a marked increase in people coming through our doors because there are an awful lot of people that this is just going to hammer into the ground uh, and so you know the government will have to do something well esther and rourke were both on the lowdown on our facebook live and tonight's episode is going to be looking at whether you'd be happy to pay more national insurance the prime minister has suggested it as a way of funding social care reforms it's being reported the increase could be around one and a quarter percent to raise between 10 and 11 billion pounds a year but there are concerns lower income earners would suffer we've been asking on socials today if you would be willing to pay more national insurance diana mills says if I get a pay rise as I earn less money now than two years ago because of my tax and pension etc going up already. Stuart Hickson's added absolutely not having paid it all my working life is bad enough being taxed on a pension and Penny Clifford says we pay for adult social care in our council tax so where is that money going question mark and no I don't want to pay more. Well we've got a poll on Twitter and you can watch the lowdown on our Facebook live from six tonight don't forget to get involved by asking questions or posting comments during the programme. The Kent Online Podcast with Blue Butterfly, Earl Street Maidstone. At Kent Online today, you can see footage of the moment a banned driver fled from a petrol station in Dartford in a bid to escape being arrested. The 23-year-old was driving at twice the speed limit and drove on the wrong side of the road while being chased by police in January. He was eventually found hiding in Lansbury Crescent. He's been jailed for 21 weeks, which will serve alongside another sentence. He's also been banned from getting behind the wheel for eight months. A Maidstone man who threatened to burn down the flat of an ex-partner and her children has been jailed for eight months. 46-year-old Alan Richards from Westmoreland Road in Shepway has also been ordered not to contact the mum or her boyfriend for two years after he sent a series of threats in May. Plans have been revealed for a major new solar farm in East Kent. Developers want to install thousands of panels on land north of Chillam and Old Wives Lees, covering the size of 86 football pitches. It's thought it would power 15,000 homes and create 200 jobs during construction. Now, a former British intelligence officer from Kent has told the podcast the threat of terror attacks in the UK has increased following the Taliban's takeover of Afghanistan. Mike Tapp from Tunbridge Wells served in the country for five years and says the militants need to be monitored closely. And despite calls for the world to trust them, he says there's no denying their links to terrorist groups. So there's some longer term threats um, and also more more immediate. Um, so obviously Afghanistan, what we saw um, sort of prior 2001 um, was the Taliban providing Al-Qaeda with a safe haven um, where they could operate. Um, now, now, what that means is um, that it gave the Al-Qaeda at the time um, the ability to train, uh, to plan, um, and even to, to raise funds for their terrorist activity. Um, this then increased the chances of large-scale attacks against the West, um, which of course we tragically saw on 9-11. 
Um, now, it does remain to be seen whether the current Taliban regime um, will do that again, or will it stick to its pledge uh, to not allow terrorist groups uh, to use Afghanistan as a base? Um, and it clearly has a slick PR campaign, um, which is um, you know, attempting to, to persuade Western governments that it's not the same old Taliban. Um, but we have to look at the links that the Taliban now has to terrorist groups. Um, you know, only recently it's appointed uh, an individual to a senior role uh, from the Haqqani network. And we know that that is very closely linked to Al Qaeda. So we're going to need to be watching closely to see how they perform. Um, the more immediate risk that we see to the West um, is twofold, really. So there's an increased risk that, that jihadists from the West and from the UK will seek to travel to Afghanistan, um, where they'll look to train. Um, that might be with ISIS um, in Khorasan province or with Al Qaeda um, if they do make a return. Um, these individuals that go out there to train then return to the UK, um, which leaves us um, in increased danger. Um, it's difficult for, for the police and the security services to monitor this. If the travellers are flying into neighbouring countries and then crossing the border um, and then vice versa to come back, um, it, it, is, it is increasingly hard. Um, we might have an intelligence case that they've gone out there, but building an evidential case to prosecute uh, is much more challenging. So we're likely to see more jihadists on the street of Britain, which does make us more vulnerable. Do you think it's uh, feasible to engage with the Taliban as they are now? Or is that just a bit of spin? I, I think it's something that we certainly should not dismiss. Um, but we need to wait and watch first. Uh, our, our diplomatic um, instruments and our intelligence services will be working overtime to try and gauge where the Taliban are really at um, and you know, not just take, take what they're saying at face value. Um, so it's something that we might have to consider doing, but but not yet. Kent Online reports. A mum from Maidstone says she's frustrated that her daughter's school can't offer accessible exams. Alexandra Castle wants dyslexia-friendly exam papers to be offered and says the current options don't always have improved readability. Now, almost 10,000 people have signed her online petition, which is calling for tests with increased line spacing to be introduced. She's been speaking to Jamie. She's always found um, increased line spacing, a much uh, easier way to, to, to um, consume text, I guess. She, she, she reads and understands a, a lot better with that and on orange paper, things like that. Uh, they've accommodated where they can, but when it came to uh, simulating mock exams, they looked into it with the exam boards as to whether they could provide increased line spacing very common requirement for, 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 for dyslexics to find increased line spacing or word spacing helpful. And the exam boards uh, said, no, we don't do that format. And no, we're not prepared to. And to be honest, I thought it must be a mistake because all of the guidelines, uh, the British Dyslexia Association style guide, uh, global uh, web accessibility guidelines all say increased line spacing and word spacing improves readability um, and comprehension and improves accessibility uh, you know across the board so it's 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 not even just limited to dyslexics you maximize accessibility if you provide that increased line spacing and, and uh, word spacing 
They are keen that, you know, that there are assistive technologies available to uh, dyslexics and others potentially. So uh, things like reading pens, um, but A, they're a huge expense. So uh, schools would have to spend, you know, 200 and almost 250 pounds per student uh, that required a pen for exams all at the same time. Um, but also my, my, my daughter doesn't really get on with assistive technology um, and she should, you know, her and other dyslexics have the right to sort of consume an exam in the most accessible format for them. If they, if they feel confident to approach it on a paper just in the same way as their peers, just with, with different formatting, then um, I think that should be encouraged. Uh, if if uh, someone with total sight loss was told they couldn't have it in Braille because it was too expensive, they'd have to have a reader, there would be an outcry. Um, dyslexics make up 10 to 15% of the student body. Um, some undiagnosed and it would obviously help those as well. And you can find a link to that petition on the story online. Plans to cut down trees in part of Kent which are home to 11 species of bat has been described as disturbing. The Environment Agency says it's part of maintenance work at Mill Lease Woodland to prevent flooding in Hythe and have consulted a specialist to protect the large healthy trees and bats. But residents say the work is unnecessary or harm wildlife and ruin an area of outstanding natural beauty. A caravan park in Seasalter could be expanded despite concerns from wildlife groups. Plans have been submitted for another 91 pitches at the Alberta complex, growing the site by almost a third. But the RSPB has objected to the proposal over fears the expansion will cause significant effects to the bird population there. Canterbury's Food and Drink Festival has been cancelled at just three weeks' notice. Organisers behind the event have blamed the impact of the pandemic and say they don't have enough stall holders. Forecasters say the mini heatwave we're having in Kent at the moment will continue for the next few days. Temperatures could hit almost 30 degrees as we get good weather thanks to a so-called Spanish plume. There's a chance of rain and slightly cooler temperatures by Thursday. And finally, the weekend continues to lead the Kent Top 40 with Alex and Numi on our sister radio station KMFM. Take My Breath has topped the chart for a second week in a row. Kent Online Sport. Starting off with tennis and Kent's Emma Rajikanu will be hoping to continue her impressive run at the US Open later. The Bromley teenager faces American Shelby Rogers in the last 16 this evening. And at Kent Online, we've got details of the draw for the FA Cup second qualifying round. It's thrown up an all-Kent tie of Hythe Town against Dartford. The rest of the fixtures are on the website with the games played the weekend of September the 18th. Well, that's all for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Plus, you can subscribe to the IM News app. That will give you access to all or KM Group newspapers. To do it, just head to kentonline.co.uk forward slash subscribe. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Blue Butterfly, the go-to cocktail bar and place to meet on Earl Street, Maidstone. Bluebutterfly.co.uk.